0: Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm excited about being at church today. Uh, Love Strong on Friday. Anyone here that was at Love Strong, if you were here uh, Friday night, make some noise. It was incredible. Relationships, being restored. It was just a beautiful night. I think it's really important for our church to know that when you see these events Be very, uh, pay pay a lot of attention to events on the calendar. I would even say really look at the the full calendar of the year when you hear us make announcements about things we're gonna do, really find out what the dates are and plan your schedules, your vacations, your trips, all those things around these events because they're so pivotal. Uh, When we come out of something like a marriage night, like Love Strong, we're going into small groups and finding other ways for you to get connected, for you to miss really key events is difficult for us in our master plan of how we're trying to work on marriages throughout the year and things of that nature. So it's the same way with youth events, men's events, women's events. Those are the, it's our design, our strategy when we get together, so really key in. So the great thing about today is if you didn't go to Love Strong Friday, uh, we're gonna have an altar call and you can repent, no, I'm kidding. Uh, if you didn't go to Love Strong, today is love is uh, Relationship Sunday, so I'm gonna be talking Uh, a little bit more about relationships, digging into some ways that you can improve your relationship, Uh, so that's gonna be great. But I I wanna mention one other thing that our premiere for Southern Gospel uh, was the other night. People flew in from Los Angeles, from New York, uh, from the actors, came down from Atlanta as well. It was a totally amazing night, fantastic. I wanted to keep you up to date to let you know that um, we had an offer from some very influential filmmakers that have made hundreds of movies and, and distributed hundreds of movies. Uh, that they, they after they saw the movie, they want us to turn this into a a, a television series, a Southern Gospel to a television series for me to produce this television series. So uh, please pray for us, because that really doesn't fit into the plans that we had to do some other things, but something that we're considering. And when I say us, I mean us. This is our church, this is what we do. You know, when you look at our mission statement, it says transforming culture through creativity. Uh, you're gonna see lots of things in the coming months uh, unfolding about you know, the, the, the facilities that we're going to build here, for studios, where we're going to make TV shows, uh, content, uh, movies, uh, raise up a whole generation of people that are going to be impacting uh, media in, in the body of Christ. So I just want to kind of keep you guys on the same page. Every little thing that I find out about, I want to tell you because you're part of that journey, and I'm really proud of our church. But today, um, as we get into this, I, I just want to point something out really quick. Remember when Pastor Amati said that Ava was fasting sweets? She did not say that Aunt, Pastor Anthony was fasting sweets because... He loves sweets a lot, and I know the moment that you fast sweets—that's a really big deal, buddy. Okay, you're, my, you're the only person I know that likes sweets more than I do, <laughs> so I, I knew that it wasn't you. Uh, we're going to jump into Proverbs chapter twenty-seven, verse nineteen. That's my text for today. It says this: "This is hard. This is one of the scriptures that just hits you. It just hits you in the gut. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like." is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. So look at someone next to you and say, I know what you look like. You're not done, keep looking at him and say, not because of what you look like, because of your friends. You can tell everything you need to know about someone. That's what this means. It means you know more about somebody by the kinds of friends they have than their appearance, than what they look like. I can tell more about you from meeting your friends than I can from just simply meeting you. Who you surround, this is the Bible. So relationships are pivotal. They are the essence of our life. Life moves at the speed of relationships. When you think about This story, and what I love about my parents' story is my parents are not famous. They're famous to us, they've done incredible things. They're legends in this county, but they're not world famous to everyone else. They've just got a wonderful story of being faithful, coming to a place, God using relationships to open up opportunities. There were some key relationships that came into their lives that opened up opportunities to do what we're doing and look at all the lives that have been changed over the years through those pivotal relationships. If you have a dream, most of the time before that dream comes to fruition, God will send a person, that's a relationship, that can unlock a new door for you, that can take you from one place into another. So the kinds of people you surround yourself with are, it's just pivotal to your future. Ecclesiastes builds on this idea, four and nine. It says it's better to have a partner then go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. If one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no help, tough. I like that, it's better to have a partner. It's really talking about the power of friendships, the power of relationships. If you're walking down the road and two guys say, hey man, get off this street, you don't belong here. You might go, oh, okay, you know, you just leave because you're just two against one. But if you got your boy with you, you might go, no, you get out of here. In my street right here, nobody gonna tell me to get I mean you get you know what I'm saying you got somebody with you to back you up, you might get a little swaggy right there on somebody. Like so, so like relationships can give you confidence, they give you strength, they give you that synergy. If one falls down, the other helps, but there's no help, tough. Marriage is a partnership. Yeah. Marriage is a, a, a spiritual, a biblical partnership. So, it, the difference in just someone that's not married and lives a single life is, is that as a single person, you're called to build godly friendships and relationships with everybody you come in contact with and, and have strong relationships with that marriage relationship. You have one extra one that has a very important godly anointing on it, and you, that's your best friend. That's your best partner, is, is your spouse. Uh, Mark chapter two, Mark, Mark chapter nine, verses two and three. I want to end with this. These three are kind of, when you put them together, you get the idea for what I'm talking about here today. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He didn't take the rest of the disciples. Who'd he take? Peter, James, and John. How many is that? It wasn't 12, was it? So, so only one-fourth of the 12 got to go. So he just took three of them. And what did he do? It says he was transfigured before them. It means his clothes became radiant, intensely white as as no one on earth could bleach them. His appearance began to glow. The power of the Holy Spirit was on him. In a supernatural moment, he wanted to show them, this is who I really am. I can't yet show everyone else, but I'm gonna show you. What does that mean? It means that when we look at Jesus' life, Jesus had a crowd of people that was around him. A large crowd of people that he knew that he had relationships with. He had a committed group of people that was around him. It was 12. And then even Jesus, the son of God, had a core of people. The crowd, the committed, and the core. So in your life, you're always going to have a crowd of people. And I would say that in this teaching today I'm trying to focus on Christian relationships because I think it is essential when the Bible says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers I think we should have friendships and relationships with people that are not Christians I think a good example is in making my film I've told you guys this before I did not approach it like a Christian filmmaker at all I didn't hire anyone I didn't ask them their faith I didn't ask I didn't even use that as something that pushed somebody over the top. I just put a script out that reflected the character's genuine faith in God and love for Jesus. Uh, I tried to show the story in the most honest way possible. It's not a, you know, I mean, the the movie's PG-13, it's got some language in it at times, it depicts Uh, You know, my mom's abuse when she was a kid. There's a suicide scene in the movie. I just tried to tell a real, honest, raw story of a Christian's life, give it to people, and people loved it that were not Christians. Some people that were not Christians loved it and were moved by it and wanted to help me make this movie and poured their heart and soul to make the script come to pass. Along the way, while I was building some of those relationships and bringing dignity and respect and honor to people who had completely different lifestyles than me, different belief systems than me, God opened up opportunities for some of, lots of those people to call me, to engage with me, to say, hey, can you pray for me? I've never felt these feelings that I'm feeling before. One of the, the people on, this, uh, on the, in the cast, it's a huge actor in the cast, came back later on, had ter- told the story, I haven't even believed in God since I was a kid but the prodigal son is now returning home. And, and, and said, said that to me and, and my mom, said the prodigal son is now returning home. And like just lots of incredible things that happen. So I do think it's important to build relationships with people that are not Christians. But when I talk about the crowd, I'm talking about the people that you're investing your life in. That has to be a common bond of Jesus. It's non-negotiable. I mean, when you're talking about, is it okay if I date somebody if they? It's not okay to date someone if they're not a Christian. It's just simply not. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. You're like, but I'm witnessing to him. No, you're not. He's going to be a bigger influence on you than you are on him. You have to have a standard. You really have to set the tone of your life. You say, but we've already been dating for three months. Then break up, okay? Okay. <laughs> Uh, find find a, a person that honors God and loves God. And, 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 and it shares us. And you say, well, why? What do you know about that? What I know about that is my wife and I are going through something right now in our personal lives that if I had built my marriage on my wife with simply my attraction toward her, this is the kind of storm that we would fall apart. But I didn't build it on that. Luckily, I thank God that I'm I think she's the most gorgeous woman in the world. It's so attractive, she's beautiful. I love looking at her and being near her, it's amazing. But what I was drawn to is that someone that individually, without me, without me having anything to do with her life, she was passionately in love with God. She was a person of prayer. And I'm gonna tell you something, in this season of my life, I need a partner that believes what I believe, that can help me tear down the the strongholds around my family and pray toward the throne room and get the mercy and the grace of God in my life. That's what you're gonna need someday when you finally come up against that storm that strips back all the shingles of your house and and causes you to find out what your foundation is built on. And that's what we need in our relationships is to make sure that when we start with the, the crowd, they have to have something in common with us. The committed, certainly, that's that 12. Jesus had the 12. We start getting around that number, 12 people, the 12 closest people to you. It's really important for them, the core friends of your life. Those three people or four people. And you go, oh, well, I, I, got, I got nine core people. Well, you, yeah, wow, you got more than Jesus. <laughs> and even him in his core of three, one of them betrayed him. 33% failure rate with Christ in his core. So what I, you say, well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that if you get one or two people in your life that'll stick by you through everything, you've done pretty good. So when I'm talking about this today, I'm, I'm saying that we have to look at these partnerships because they're powerful. Life moves at the speed of relationships. And so today I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna teach on uh, powerful partnerships on relationships on. So Father, thank you for your presence, your goodness. We love you. Uh, We honor you. We bless you. I pray that your healing would be in this service, Lord, that you would just touch people watching online, touch the people in this room. Uh, Let us us be willing to admit when we need help, and we're wrong, God. Uh, That's what we want to do. We want to be changed by you uh, so that we can reflect you in every way to the world around us. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So, Jesus has this core, and as I mentioned, one betrayed him, Peter, in this core. And one of the things I love about Jesus is he demonstrates what he teaches. The first time that he sees Peter after the betrayal, it's John chapter 21, and Peter is talking to everyone. He's depressed. He's very down on himself because Jesus predicted that he would betray him. He said, no, I'll never betray you. And then he did betray him. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that after he did that, Jesus made eye contact with him. Imagine the shame and the humiliation of knowing that you betrayed your friend who is the sweetest, most wonderful person. He's God. I mean, he gave his whole life for you. And you betrayed him like that, the shame. And then Peter doesn't get a chance to to make amends with Jesus. He's, He's in shame. So Jesus dies. He's resurrected, but he's gone. He's not appearing to him, and and Peter's depressed. So listen what he says. He says, I'm going fishing. Well, isn't that what he did before he met Jesus? Isn't it interesting how a man cut off from his future will always go back to his past? And he does that very thing, and he invites the other disciples with him. He says, so they all went, got in the boat, and they caught nothing. It's funny that when you're life gets off track from your purpose, it doesn't lead to a lot of success, does it? They caught nothing, and as dawn was breaking, Jesus stood beside the seashore, but the disciples didn't know that it was him. I don't know if it just didn't cross their mind that like he's dead, they saw a guy that looked like him. I don't know if Jesus was disguising his appearance or kind of hiding who he was, but Jesus even talks to them, and they don't know who it is. He says, children, haven't you got anything to eat? No, they replied. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find something. So they cast the net and now they couldn't draw it in because of the weight of the fish. So the disciple that Jesus loved, by the way, here's another cool thing about his core. He's got this core and John is in the core. John is the one writing this. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's like me calling myself mom and dad's favorite son. I mean, it's like like you're saying something that you really believe, like he really believes that he's, he's Jesus' favorite. I think that no matter who you were, that you probably always felt like you were Jesus' favorite because I think that's the way Jesus treats people. Yes. That, that special element of a relationship where you goes, no, no, it's me, it's me, I'm his favorite. But it says that, he calls himself this right here, and he says, and the disciple who Jesus loved, hold on, here we go. Uh, da, 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 da. The disciple that Jesus loved spoke to Peter. It's the master, he said. And when Peter heard that it was the master, he wrapped his cloak around him. He'd been naked for work and threw himself in the sea. The other disciples brought the boat into land, dragging the net full of fish. They weren't far from the shore, about 100 yards away. When they had come to land, they saw a charcoal fire laid there with fish and bread on it. Jesus, who had just been betrayed, cooked them Breakfast. I don't know about you, but that's not the first thing that comes to, do, comes to my mind when I think of doing something for someone that betrayed me. Right. Would you cook breakfast for someone that betrayed you? There's ladies here It's like, I did that this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let, let's let go of all that stuff right there. It's a love strong weekend. <laughs> it says... Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter went and pulled the net onto shore. It was was full of large fish, 153 and all. The net wasn't torn, even though there were so many. Come and have breakfast, said Jesus to them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the master. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so also with the fish. Isn't this incredible? We're seeing Jesus, the way he treats people in his world that have hurt him. Demonstrating restoration, yes. demonstrating forgiveness, demonstrating kindness to the core. The person, you, you know, it had to hurt the most. I mean, with a lot of those people that, that betrayed Jesus, he probably expected it, with, but with Peter, it had to really hurt. Someone from his core. So today, I wanna use that as an example of Christ likeness in our relationships, of building principles of partnership in our life. With our friends, uh, with our deep relationships, and definitely with our spouses, I'm going to do something a little different in this service. Uh, you, you know, first of all, we didn't sing that song uh, again at the end in first service, so you got you get some stuff in the second. So I'm going to tell you, so the second service, so we didn't have a guitar solo in the in the first service. We had it in the second service. And we didn't have what I'm about to do right now because I'm about to go into some stuff on forgiveness that I didn't even talk about in the first service. So look at someone next to you, tap them on the shoulder, say, I like the second service. This thing is pretty awesome right here. (laughs) Don't tell the first service anything I just said (laughs) because I'm just feeling this a little bit of a different direction for a second. I think that here's some principles of partnership. I think truth, here's four things. Honor, love, love and forgiveness. I'm gonna touch very briefly on each of these. Truth is a powerful partnership principle. You can't have a partner in business, in life, in friendship, in anything if you can't trust them. Say amen. Amen. It's not possible. You have to be able to to trust and take to the bank whatever your partner says. It, It does not help your partner at all. It doesn't help you at all to say things that are not true like It's kind of like that guy who went to the optometrist and he was getting the eye exam and he gets in the room by himself early and he looks at the chart on the wall and he's got a photographic memory. So he memorizes every letter. He gets real close, sees all the tiny little letters at the bottom, he memorizes the whole thing and he sits down on the chair and the, the guy walks in. and He goes, okay, we're gonna test your eyes out and I'll cover up one eye to read the first line, second line, third. And the guy reads everything perfect and the guy goes, wow, you've got perfect vision. Yeah, you've got 2020, even better than 2020 vision you don't need any glasses. You need nothing. Just, you know, come back and see me. In a couple years, you're great. And the guy walks out and he goes, boy, I really fooled him. Who did he end up hurting? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He didn't hurt the doctor. Right. The doctor was just doing his job. And in many ways, your friends, you know, you, they're just listening to the information you're giving them. Your spouse is listening to this. You're hurting yourself. From being able to get help, to have people who can actually see your blind spots in life, who care about you and love you enough to tell you what's going on from a different perspective. We can't build partnerships if there's no honesty. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We have to be willing to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. Can you say amen to that? The Bible tells us to speak the truth in Ephesians 4.15 in love. It's not just simply enough to speak the truth. Right. It has to be done in a way, in a kind way, in a caring way, in an empathetic way. Yes. So people will hear us and want to change and want to confront it. So don't lie. The more you do it, the better you get at it. That's right. And the more heart, your heart becomes jaded to it, and also the more your heart believes the lies. Yeah, exactly wow. right. You really confuse yourself when you lie enough. Because you can't even remember. You're like, okay, let me tell this story. Oh, wait, did I lie to them four years ago or was that a different group I lied to? Can't remember the story. It's like, just tell the truth. You ain't got to worry about it, right? right, We can build powerful partnerships when truth is at the core. Number two, honor. You you build powerful partnerships on honor. And what is honor? Biblical honor is seeing the worth and the value in people that God sees in them. God sees tremendous value in People, So make sure that we always esteem people and give people honor that we never dishonor them. That's why when the Bible says, don't, you know, if you say raka to a brother, which raka means empty headed in this passage of scripture, Jesus is the one talking about this. He said, if you say raka, you're in danger of the courts. But if you say you fool, which is really more of a heart judgment that can be calling them. You know, There's a million cuss words that we call people when we don't like, oh, they're just a blah, blah, blah. You know, you said, it, basically what it's saying is when you go there in your heart, uh-huh. it's one thing to call someone something that can, is illegal that gets you thrown in jail for libel. It's another thing. He says it's even worse when you call them something, a name out of your heart. He says because that doesn't get you thrown in court, that gets you thrown in hell. Wow. Because the Sermon on the Mount is all about take all the laws that you have and obey them, and none of them mean anything because if you're breaking them in your heart, you're breaking them to God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount teaches is that we all fail. So what we have to do is learn honor on the inside, not just demonstrate it on the outside, but learn to appreciate and value people on the inside, and then let let our respect be an overflow. See, respect is passive while honor is active. Respect is something we just simply feel on the inside. But honor has to become something that we express. Respect is internal while honor is external. It's impossible to keep loving what you've lost respect for. You have to learn how to cultivate honor and respect in your heart. And I'll tell you something. Honor is a decision. You decide to value people. Honor is a language. It's the way you talk about people and to people. Yes. You say, well, they, I, you don't know what they, how they disrespected me. No, I don't. But I just know how you disrespected them in response. Yep. Is, am I allowed to talk here today? I mean, yeah. you guys are kind of You're like. <laughs> I'm just trying to talk about things that I do. <laughs> like when I make mistakes, I'm trying, I have trouble. I struggle with this. So I, I force myself to learn the language of honor. Sometimes that means finding just, you know, I don't care if you're standing on a street corner and there's a little crosswalk guard sitting there. I've, I, I've just tried to develop a habit. I see someone, hey, I say, hey, man, I just wanna thank you so much for doing what you're doing here. You know, I really appreciate that, that means a lot. And sometimes, you know, I love when you get, get these moments, sometimes they'll go, yeah, I've been doing it 22 years now. <laughs> a Couple weeks ago, guy. Swinging by here on a Huffy uh, on one wheel. <laughs> you know, dangerous stuff. And uh, I said, hey, slow down. You know, I mean, and you just listen, you just listen, you just t- you know, and, and you just go, man, that's amazing. Thank you so much yes. for doing that. What is it? It's a lifestyle yes. sure. of honoring people. Sure and, and I think that that's what relationships are built on when you truly, truly honor yes. others. I think the third one would be love. Uh, you know, when 1 Corinthians says, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels but don't have love, uh, I'm just like a banging gong, like a cymbal. I mean, no offense to our drummer, but nobody likes the sound of just a cymbal. Just it, a cymbal by itself is the worst thing in the world. It has to go as something else. Uh, it, and it goes on in verse 4 to say, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. You want a functional relationship? Stop bringing up the past. Stop reminding them of things that God forgave them for a long time ago. Stop reminding them of things that you forgave them for a long time ago. It's not easily angered. doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So I think truth, honor, and love are hallmarks of powerful partnerships with your friends or with your spouse. And some of those things, please don't get discouraged if you're not truthful in your relationship. Let's say you have a, a habit or an addiction or something that you've kind of covered up and lied about for a long time, or you spent this much, but you acted like you spent this much, or you actually talked to this friend, but you didn't tell someone. Truth is something that you can begin to do at any time. What's great about truth is that today, you can start telling the truth. You can make a decision in your life that you're no longer going to live that way. You're no longer going mis- to misrepresent facts. You're just going to be a truthful person. And from this day forward, as you, as you move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, you say, but it's hard. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, it is difficult when we're not truthful, but he is. We, we get the truth in us through him, and we begin to communicate that. So start living with truth in your life. Start living with honor in your life. Again, honor is something you can choose to step into any day. Mm-hmm. Today can be that day. If you're not a loving person, step into love today. And then this last one is the difference in this service and last service. I want to dig in this a little bit. This is forgiveness. Four is forgiveness. Uh, 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. First yes. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, it's not irritable or touchy. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other. Repeat that with me. Forgiving each other. One more time. Forgiving each other. As God has forgiven you through Christ. We have to forgive others as God has forgiven us. This is like the worst thing in the Bible for us. Like It just is the hardest thing for us to do. We don't want to forgive other people. We want to make them grovel, don't we? We want to make them so sorry for what they've done. But yet we want God to forgive us. That's why in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. Please listen to that. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. How many people have I ever heard come to me and say, Pastor, I don't get it. I pray, and God never answers my prayers. Well, what if this was the direct answer to that question? In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. He goes on to say, you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. I don't understand why I pray, and God never gives me any financial blessing, but you never bless anyone. I don't understand why I pray to meet new friends and I never meet any, yet you never initiate friendships. I don't understand, no one will help me move this Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have to finish that one. (laughs) It says, if you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And this is really talking about forgiveness here. This is, this is really important. Matthew 18. This is something that our church is going to do. This is who we are. It is in our DNA. It is in our DNA, not just as City of Lifers, but as Christians. This is a biblical principle, a biblical truth, a biblical protocol. This is not just a way to do this. This is the way to do this. you You say, that sounds very dogmatic. There's no other option. The Bible tells us how to deal with offense and a problem with other believers. It's talking about brothers and sisters. It says, if your brother or sister sins. Actually, hold on. Let me back this up real quick. Let's start with Matthew 5. Where this is even a higher standard. It says, you have heard it said to people long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to court. I mentioned that a moment ago. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire and hell. Listen to verse Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Uh leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. That means literally you're going, and I will lean back. Oh, shoot, John is mad at me. (laughs) It's saying your worship is useless. Isn't that what it's saying? Yeah. It says, leave your gift there. Go and you remember, you go, I got to talk to John. John, we argued last week. He, you got mad at me. John, you're upset at me for something that we did. And I just want to tell you, I'm sorry that this happened between us. I don't want this conflict. I shouldn't have left it like that. I should have dealt with it. I just want you to know that I apologize. Now, John may or may not receive your apology at that moment, but it's really important that you make, I hope that he does, and the Bible yes. hopes that he does. That's true Christian brotherhood. Yes. That's Christian family to accept apologies. When people come to you and they, they apologize to say, thank you so much, I don't want that between us, let's pray about it out loud, let's move on and, yes. and not go back. But whether he accepts it or not, that's the point where you say, now I'm gonna go back into the loving arms. And now you can finish your song because God actually will receive that worship. But it's saying that he won't receive any other worship if you've got unsettled things that have not been dealt with. I'm not making this up. This is right in the New Testament. This is not like in Leviticus or something. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 5. Then he, in, then he goes to Matthew chapter 18 and says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. So if so, this is if they sin in general, whether it's a sin that is just something that you saw on Facebook or you heard about or whatever. You know your brother or sister is sinning or they've done something against you. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Somebody repeat that with me. Just between the two of you. If you don't do that, you're not living biblically. That's right. There is no other way to say that. If you first go online and you just put some version of what they did and yet you don't really say that name. I really hate it when people with blonde hair and glasses, you know, it's like and you figure out some way to say it. But I didn't really tell everyone. That's just not that's just not. Christ-like. I'm not making this up. It's right here. Why do we ignore this? Why do people ignore this? Go and point it out. Their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Yes. Somebody say praise God to that. How wonderful is it when you talk to someone and say, hey, bro, you're out partying and drinking. You're, you're a man of God. What's going on? That's, you're, God's got more for you than that. Yes. That's your old life. Yeah, you're right, man. Mom, I'm going to pray for you right now, man. You're my boy. You, know, you can come, come with me to church on Sunday. Walk away from that old life. And I'm here for you. Whatever you need. Let's join a small group. Let's do whatever we've got to do. Amen, you pray with them, you move forward. If they say, hey, you ain't got no right to talk to me, I'll do whatever I want. I'll say whatever I want, I'll go wherever I want. You know, that's a brother. Listen, it, it, part two, it says, if they will not listen, take one or two others, how many? How many? Don't take no posse and roll up in their front yard at midnight. <laughs> it says one or two. That every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, you got the one or two, and then you, that's three, and then a couple people right there. If they still refuse to listen, so you, step one is what? How many people do you take with you? Zero, just you and them, right? Just, and what do you do? You tell them what happened. Then if that doesn't happen, what's step two? Take one or two. And you don't do it accusatory, remember? We said the Bible says speak the truth in love, right? You don't bring a couple people and go, we're here because you didn't listen to me. <laughs> it's this thing, hey, hey look, I, I wanted to talk. I wanted to work this out. You said this about me. It wasn't true. I tried to talk to you. You told me you didn't say it, but I know you said it. Now I just want these brothers to be here with me and say, I want to work this out. I love you. I care for you. I don't want to have strife between us. That's the second opportunity it says if they don't listen to that and they refuse that step three is tell it to the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come to church leaders yeah. and it says that that protocol is that the church gets involved as the church and whoever that pastor or leader may be as the church. That is the church operating as the church and it says that after that third level if the church tries to intervene that's the third step yes. it says this person is not a Christian right. period. Because it says, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. You have misjudged them. It doesn't matter how many people follow them. It doesn't matter who thinks they're this or that. It means they simply are not a Christian. Because they have not listened to counsel with one person. They haven't listened to wise counsel with two. And they haven't listened to the third level, which is the church. It says, cast them off. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You say, that's mean. We'll talk to Jesus about it. This is his line, not mine. Truly, I tell you, whatever, and by the way, I'm just reading this part because everyone misquotes this. It says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is talking about dealing with disagreements still. How about another scripture that's massively misquoted for the wrong reasons? He said, again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. What does everyone do? You call a prayer meeting, like three people show up, they say, well, the Bible says where two or more gather together, he's in the midst of them. Praise God. Well, he's here tonight, isn't he? Hallelujah. But that's not what that's about. That's about dealing with conflict. It's conflict resolution. So I encourage you, in the name of Jesus, Use biblical protocol to deal with disagreements with others. You say, well, I don't like conflict. I don't think you should like conflict, but you should like what godly conflict produces, which is resolution and healing. I promise you, the person who pretends, when they go to the doctor and the doctor says, does this hurt, and they say no, but it does. You're afraid of conflict. See, the the pain is going to happen eventually. The pain of letting something get worse is gonna happen or the pain of the surgery that can heal you is gonna happen. Pain is inevitable, but when is it gonna happen? So I just encourage you in relationships, have godly forgiveness and confrontation. I think here's a couple of ideas about forgiveness. When you're apologizing, express your regret verbally some people really need to hear the words, I'm sorry. Benjamin Franklin said, never ruin an apology with an excuse. Oh, Ben had him a line there, didn't he? I like that line, never, never ruin an apology with an excuse. Don't. Isn't that frustrating when someone says, I'm really sorry that I did that, but if I just would have had more time, I could have, it, it's like, you kind of messed it up there. Just stick with, I'm sorry, amen? Let's do that in our relationships, in our marriages. Let's let I'm sorry be I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. The second thing, accepting responsibility in an apology. Some people really need to hear that. They just need to hear someone say, I'm sorry I did that. That was my fault. I shouldn't have. I was feeling insecure. I was feeling weak. And they just need to hear some of the reasoning behind I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm sorry is not enough for some people. So let's be willing to go above and beyond. Say, I'm sorry, to accept responsibility. The third thing, some people need to make restitution. Sometimes just expressing regret and taking responsibility, it's not enough. Sometimes we need to make responsibility, for, it, take responsibility and make restitution. Like, for instance, if our child takes a toy away from another kid, we say, tell them, I'm sorry. And what else do we say? Give them the toy back. Sometimes we need to fix whatever it is that we said I'm sorry for. I think also number four would be genuinely repenting. I didn't give any of this stuff to the first service. This is why this is kind of bonus material. Only got one more after this. Genuinely repenting. The word repentance means to turn around or to change your attitude. So if you did something that was angry or upset or mean, say I'm sorry, take responsibility, make restitution and change your attitude. Get in a better mindset, a better attitude. Get out of it. You say, well, it's hard. All of it's hard. Look at someone next to you. You say, we do hard things. That's who we are. That's, That's one of the things we say here at this church. We do hard things. Christians, you have to do hard things. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do hard things through Christ who strengthens me. And then finally, this is, the, this is difficult as well. This is the last one that I would say. In these power partnerships, you have to request forgiveness. Sometimes we don't do that in apologies. We'll say, I'm sorry, we'll say, I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. I recently had someone that did something really har- hurtful to me, uh, really, really hurtful to me. They never said any of this stuff. The, the most they said is, I shouldn't have done that. They never said, I'm sorry. They never accepted responsibility. They never asked for forgiveness. They never changed their attitude. They never tried to make restitution. All they said was, I shouldn't have done it. I just wanted to say, I mean, I'm sitting there going, can you just say one of these five things? I would feel so much better right now. Uh, But I don't want people to have to ask me to apologize correctly. I wanna do it out of love and kindness. And this last one is requesting forgiveness. I think that is a really important thing after we've done all those things. Sometimes we just need to say, will you please forgive me, forgive me? Can you forgive me of this so we can move past that? And I think once we're able to do that, I would just really encourage everyone in the church, pray together with friends and Christians. When you've settled a matter, pray together all the time. Uh, When you're together and you're leaving someone's house, this is something my mom and dad started when I was very little. If we ever have dinner with someone or just with a group of friends, before we leave, we always pray. We just grab hands and we pray out loud. Father, thank you for this time together pray favor on everyone as they leave and give us protection thank you for these friendships in jesus name it doesn't have to be the longest prayer in the world but get used to settling matters and forgiveness and things like that with a prayer and i just want god to honor your relationships i want your marriages to thrive i want your relationships with your kids to thrive this is parents this is us toward kids too we should be apologizing to our kids when we make mistakes and they should be apologizing to us when they make mistakes. We shouldn't have to force these things. These are natural things that happen. I recently, just this past week, had something that happened with my daughter Zoe and I told her the way that our family feels about a particular thing and I left it and I walked away and she walked, came in the other room. She said, Daddy, I just want you to know, I respect and honor, this is the exact phrase she said. She said, I respect and honor the way you and mommy feel about that situation, and I'm very sorry that I did that. I, I was like, yeah, you stay right there for a second. I was like, ooh, I went in the other room, and I cried. I was, I was like, yeah, okay, thank you, I appreciate that. I, I, I'll go in there, I'll, I'll be there in just a few minutes. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way you feel, but that's what happens is when you build that, that equity into your family, they pour it back into you, right? So let, let's thrive in our relationships, and let's have godliness and openness and truth that is mixed with love in every area of our life. Can somebody say amen today? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to give an opportunity here today before we leave for anyone that is here to know Jesus. He loves you so much and cares for you so much. He gave his life on that cross, stepping in on your behalf when God as the judge had you on the stand to punish you eternally for every one of your sins that falls short. Jesus literally had the authority and did so. He stepped in and said, I will take the blame, judge, for what they did. He stepped in and that judge put all of his wrath and all of the sentencing went to Jesus and he received all of that wrath and sentencing on the cross for you. And you were able to walk free if you put your faith in Jesus. That's why I'm giving you that invitation today. Those that are watching online, they're in this room. Will you put your faith in Jesus? The Bible says if you you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You gotta believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. So if you're here today and you do not know the Lord, no one's looking around, nobody. None of our team, nobody. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need Jesus, just lift your hand right now. In every single section all over the room, hands are going up, hands going up everywhere, every single section. That's many, 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 many hands. If you're watching online, would you type in that chat right now, say, I'm lifting my hand, I need Jesus. Let some of our moderators know they wanna connect with you. God is moving in this room. Would every person pray this prayer with me out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life, with you. I can't please you by my own merit. Only Jesus can do that. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins on that cross and rising from the grave so I could have eternal life. I live my life in you starting this day and from here on out in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, could we give God a great praise this morning? That's many, many people online in this room and gave your heart to the lord love you so much this concludes the teaching if you'd like to support what god is doing here at city of life click on the give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900 we hope you'll join us again